the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome into EP Wealth's Informed Investor Market Update. I'm Rob Black. Joining me today, CFA and CFP, Adam Phillips. He is EP Wealth's Director of Portfolio Strategy. Year to date, we see the NASDAQ up 16.3%, the S&P 500 up 7.3%, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1%. Growth is outperforming value so far this year, very similar to how value outperformed growth last year. So it seems to be working itself out. There is always the sell in May and go away that's coming up because we're deep into April. Let's talk a little about what we saw on Friday. It was a good Friday, so the markets were closed, Adam. The jobs market, something that we're taking a look at, how it deals with inflation, how it deals with potential recession, how it's handling the interest rate. But what did you see in the jobs number from Friday? Yeah. Uh, hi, Rob. So there were a few different takeaways from Friday's jobs report. And overall, I think it was actually quite good. If the markets, the stock market, uh, that is, was actually open, I think we'd probably see a positive response uh, by investors because, look, we saw uh, just over 200,000 jobs added. I think the number was 238,000. Uh, net new jobs uh, created in the month of March. This was a little bit higher than expectations. Actually, it was the 12th straight month where the the number uh, came in better than expected. So jobs growth continues to surprise to the upside, although this was you know, more in line uh, with expectations than those in the past. Um, so it looks like we, we are seeing some slowing here, but the, the jobs market is still incredibly healthy. Uh, we I, I think the Fed would, would look at a few things beyond that, just headline growth number uh, and and uh, see see some positive developments and and so a couple things that that I took away from it we saw average hourly earnings uh, continue to, to moderate so wage inflation uh, coming in a, a little bit softer still elevated but coming in I think that the year over year number is now 4.2 percent so it's making its way down from you know it was it was uh, well over five percent not too long ago so it's it's making progress there. Uh, and then in terms of the labor uh, labor force participation uh, rate, that number edged up ever so slightly. But if you looked at, uh, as we always say, underneath the hood, what was actually driving this number, a lot of the participation increase was actually in those greater than age 55, which is important because I think it speaks to this trend of, of what we call uh, unretirement. We, yeah. So much of this uh, labor uh, labor imbalance uh, was because of those who uh, quit their jobs or left the workforce during COVID uh, and took early retirement. And so it left uh, a lower supply of workers. Now, as time has has dragged on here, we've seen elevated living costs. Uh, maybe people are starting to eat into those savings a little bit more than they had anticipated. We're, we're seeing some people go back to the, into the workforce. And I think that's a positive development. The Fed is likely to see that as, okay, this is all working, going according to plan, we are seeing that the uh, labor markets come back 
uh, into harmony here between the supply and and, uh, and demand uh, of, of the workforce. And so I think all in all, it was a pretty solid report. Uh, we also, earlier in the week, we got the JOLTS data. And I think that told pretty much the same story. Uh, that's the job opening uh, and labor turnover survey. And, and so we, we talk about this every month when we get the new data. But if you, if you recall, it wasn't too long ago, uh, about a year or so ago, that the, we, we had about 12 million job openings in the U.S., this number is now down just shy of 10 million. So we've seen the number of job openings uh, come in uh, quite a bit. And I think that's what's helped uh, the um, uh, wage inflation start to moderate a little bit. So I think the Fed is likely to see that as a positive sign as well. Jobs are so critical to our economy. It's good to hear your perspective, even though new terms like unretirement, it really shows you how things with COVID and supply chain really kind of threw our economy for a loop. As far as the jobs market, it's just not as easy to analyze as it used to be. I'd like to go back to those pre-2019 or the pre-COVID kind of days. Um, let's talk about the consumer because this is a consumer-focused show today for sure. Uh, the jobs, the consumer is well-employed. How about the retail sales number? Um, is the consumer getting tired? I think that's a piece of data that's coming out this week. It is a piece of data coming out later this week. So we'll get that number on Friday. and. Right. Look, I think the story last year uh, was was we were talking about the incredible resilience of the consumer. And we know we are a consumer-driven economy, and so that's where we, we focus a lot of our attention. And it's been really, I, I'd say, surprising to many people that uh, the consumers have been as resilient as, as they've been over the last uh, year plus here uh, in the face of, of all of these various types of headwinds, right? Um, we, we know um, the uh, supply shortages and all these things that, that drove up the cost of living and, and the cost of, of goods and services in our economy, yet the consumer has continued to spend. Uh, and we're starting to see some signs of pressure there. I think it was it was really we were all asking ourselves when it would happen. It was not a question of of whether it would. It was just a matter of time. And so I think we are starting to see some cracks beginning to appear. Uh, we'll see what that data uh, shows on Friday. Um, but you know, it wasn't too long ago. It was back in January that we saw over a three month gain uh, in month over month in retail sales. That number was incredibly strong. Uh, obviously, set up a difficult. Uh, comp uh, for the uh, for the February number, so not too surprising that uh, the most recent number that we have showed a slight decline, about four tenths of a percent. And so I, I think broad estimates this time around is for another month over month decline. Um, but overall, I, I, I think it's important to see where those declines are coming from. Are people spending less at, say, restaurants, dining out? Um, are they spending more on on goods? And so I, I think it's. Uh, so as is so often the case, it's so important not just to, to focus on that headline number, but but take a deeper look and, and see where these trends are and what they're saying about the health and the mindset of the consumer. Um, but so far, I'd, I'd say that it's still uh, relatively strong, showing some cracks. We've talked in the past about how um, one of the, the trends that we are following is the increased use of credit cards. Uh, maybe people are eating into their savings a little bit more. And we are starting to see that play out in the form of higher credit card balances outstanding. And so not too ideal uh, of, of a situation here, as we know that interest rates uh, on credit cards have been increasing along with the Fed's uh, um, policy rates. Um, average uh, interest rate on credit card debt is, is somewhere around 20% now. And so we know that uh, most, if they had the choice, wouldn't, uh, would not would rather not be uh, adding to credit card debt right now. But uh, so it, I think it says a lot when we're starting to see that number increase. 
Well said. Um, so obviously a lot of the state is going to come back to the Fed, but let's hold off on the Fed for one more little bit of commentary. Um, the credit tightening that you talked on tied towards the uh, consumer, we're also going to see the regional banks pull a little bit of credit tightening after Silicon Valley Bank and a couple of the other banks in the United States showing some some um, struggle in headline. It seems to have passed. It seems to have boiled down, uh, calmed down, simmered down. Uh, and yet it, maybe it's on the horizon that regional banks will be a little bit tighter with giving me a mortgage, giving me a refi, um, giving me a, a business loan, giving me money if I was a farmer for a tractor. Um, are the regional banks going to play into helping the Fed by making lending a little less active, which means a little less speculative money flow? Absolutely. I, I think it, it, it certainly helps the Fed and and uh, means that they potentially have to raise their policy rates uh, less than maybe a lot of people expected, um, say, two months ago or, or, or several weeks ago before all this uh, dramas and, and issues started to surface across the banking system, and in particular the regional banks. Um, but one of the, the trends that was already in place, actually, uh, over the last few quarters was we were starting to see some uh, some tighter lending standards across the banking system. And so I think this is only going to um, is to increase those lending standards further. Um, and so if if banks are less willing to spend uh, to to lend uh, to their their depositors to their customers. Uh, then I, I think that obviously uh, will only help the Fed's case. It, it means that they have to do more on their side because uh, the rest of the the economy um, is is really doing it for them. And and so I, I think that that is why we've seen a lot of movement here in the bond market. Investors are now positioning for uh, maybe a lower terminal rate, meaning a, a quicker end to the the policy tightening than they were expecting before, just because they think a lot of that tightening is going to come from uh, outside of the Fed and actually from the banks themselves. It's interesting that you bring that up because we're still going to I'm still going to ask the question because everyone still wants to know at the next Fed meeting, do you expect them to raise interest rates based on the jobs number that we've seen, uh, where the consumer seems very strong, employed. Uh, retail sales have been holding up because we have jobs. Job equals paychecks. Paychecks equals spending money at retail. And um, the Silicon Valley Bank blow up didn't really seem to cause a virus. It didn't really seem to cause a flu through the markets, um, uh, infecting others. Do you think the Fed is done? Wait and see. Or do you think we get one more interest rate hike or maybe many more? Yeah. I don't want to put all the words in your mouth. Look, I, I I don't have a coin, but if I did, I, I really think it would be a, a coin flip right here. Okay. Um, if I if I were forced to make a call, I would say that they are uh, they can they can justify going twenty five basis points more, and that's likely what they will do. Uh, and then they, they're they're going to take a wait and see approach, uh, and I think that's that could be the last rate hike uh, that we uh, are likely to see here. And they're just going to let the economy digest all these. Uh, recent, uh, all this recent Fed tightening, and, and as I said, that that tightening from the banking system. I, I, I can really argue from both sides here. I, I think there's something to be said for waiting. Um, I, I think we've seen some of this data start to moderate, and it implies that the Fed's medicine is working a little bit. Maybe they don't have to uh, focus on uh, inflationary pressures uh, quite so much because the, the medicine is working. Maybe it, it took a little bit longer than they were hoping. Um, but that implies that maybe they could just kind of wait another month or so and and see how the data plays out, see how how the market uh, and the economy really catches up to everything that's happened in in recent weeks and months. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't. I, I think they probably will uh, uh, elect to raise rates. And what's interesting is that they're going to be 
So there's the we received the uh, latest uh, CPI print, so inflation data on Wednesday, and then after that, there's not really a whole lot of data uh, be, be, before they meet again uh, and, uh, and and conclude their next FOMC uh, meeting on May 3rd. We're not going to get another jobs report after Wednesday's number. We're not going to get another CPI report on inflation, and so I, I think they're really going to be left just um, trying to analyze what's going on within the banking world. Um, that what we will receive are is information uh, related to flows in and out of the banking system. We will uh, receive uh, earnings uh, reports as the earnings season gets underway, actually starting on Friday with the announcements from a few of the larger banks in the country. Uh, I, I think they'll be providing the Fed and investors an update on, on what's actually going on uh, on the ground. And and so I, I think it's these types of things that that are going to uh, influence the Fed's thinking because they're really going not going to have too much economic data to go on between now and then. Let me ask one more question because I'm getting this question from a lot of consumers. Um, the housing market, and this also plays into the Fed in raising interest rates and raising the cost of mortgage. Everything seems to have stabilized. You and I were talking about deposits into the banks have stabilized. Mm-hmm. The housing market doesn't seem crazy upset right now. I think we were down about 5% since the summer in prices. I saw one report saying another 15%, but it was making it sound like that's normal and predictable. How do you feel about where we are stabilized? Because there isn't a lot of drama with the consumer numbers, with the job numbers, with the retail numbers, um, with the credit tightening numbers and the housing market. You know, the last time I saw a housing market correction, it lasted up to three years. So six months to three years sounds like a recession, which lasts six months to three years, the stock market, bear market, Mm -hmm. six months to three years. It seems like we're just kind of getting trained and we're pretty calm. Are you seeing calm or are you seeing anxiety out there? Maybe, maybe I'm seeing something different. No, I, I I would agree with you, Rob. I I think that, you know, people are looking at this in in a very rational way. You know, let's not forget the fact that prices on a national level rose about 40%. It's true. Uh, in, in, in about two years. And so I think it's, it's uh, certainly normal to see some type of, of correction or a pause here as people start to uh, acclimate to, uh, to higher rates, right? We've seen mortgage rates more than double from where they were at the beginning of 2022. And so I, I think that is likely to, it certainly hurts affordability and, and probably makes a lot of buyers uh, think twice before going out and, and buying a new home. Um, and but but I, I think even though we're seeing activity slow down, we're, we're seeing prices uh, start to come in a little bit. We're, we were never really worried about a, a deep crisis here. This wasn't a housing bubble. Um, no. This was a supply and demand issue. And, and so what we have seen in recent months is that builders are starting to get back to work and starting to uh, to start development on on new homes. And so as that supply comes online, I think that'll further help restore that balance, right, between supply and demand in the housing market. But but I, I really think that this is is really just more of a uh, of, of a pause and normalization more than anything else. And I and I would I you know I would I would expect that many others are viewing it that way as well. I look forward to more updates in the future with you because I want to feel some anxiety and yet I'm not feeling much anxiety and you're doing a very good job of explaining everything. It's CFA, CFP, Adam Phillips, Director of Portfolio Strategy at EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black for the Informed Investor Market Update. Good day. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Stocks are rallying today after inflation data. Nothing to get really wildly excited about, in my opinion. The CPI report comes in cool. You know how Goldilocks 
deals with Wall Street. You don't want things too hot. You don't want things too cold. You want things just right. So it comes in cool. Let's ask Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Did Goldilocks stumble onto Wall Street this morning and, and find a nice inflationary number? Or what are you seeing, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. Um, you know, I think it was maybe um, a little bit of, of both, uh, okay. if you hear me out. So total sure. CPI was up 0.1%, right? That was, that was better than expected, okay? And that brought the year-over-year rate down to 5%. Uh, versus 6% in February. So that's all good. Now, that total CPI number encompasses food and energy. When you take food and energy out of the equation, core CPI uh, was up 0.4%. Now, that was as expected, but you saw the year-over-year increase uh, to 5.6% versus 5.5% in February. And so uh, I think when you take a step back, um, you know, a number that's in line with expectations should not elicit much of a reaction because there's no real surprise factor there. And the bottom line is even though total CPI was better than expected, the Fed focuses on core CPI. So I think that's why we're seeing, you know, the broader markets reaction, you know, right after the number was released, I think a lot of algorithmic trading kicked in just reading the the news that, you know, total CPI was much improved. Um, But that's been dialed back here. And now we have a market that's kind of just, you know, sitting little changed at the moment, which in our eyes makes sense because the, the, the number that mattered most came in as expected. Is this enough for the Fed to pause? Is this enough to lead mm-hmm. to a change in policy? Is this enough to help the stock market say, OK, we're closer. Let's you know, put our feet in the water, not necessarily go swimming with the sharks, but start to think about it. Is it enough? Yeah, that I mean. Well, it's certainly the the market's hope, of course, that okay. uh, that that would be the case, and I think that's what was the knee jerk reaction you saw in the futures market after the release of the CPI data, as well as in the Treasury market. You know, where the two year note yield came screaming down, as uh, even more so than the ten year note yield. But um, you know, I think it, I think it does give the Fed enough room here. I think they're they're likely to still go ahead with that rate hike in May, based on what we know now, um, but probably would be inclined to, you know, maybe pause and just give it a give some uh, breathing room there to see how uh, the uh, economy unfolds, because we have seen other signs of softness and starting to emerge in other indicators. Um, You know, those ISM releases were not too spectacular. We've seen some deceleration in the pace of hiring. Um, The uh, pace of average hourly earnings has come down. and, you know, and, and, and so I think that in you know, the market, uh, well, obviously we've had, you know, the banking issue. And, and I think the Fed is cognizant of uh, the idea that banks are probably going to be more conservative with their balance sheets as we move forward here, certainly in the near term. And so probably we'll go ahead and, and allow for uh, some breathing room after they go ahead and raise rates one more time. And I think we have seen or heard from, you know, several Fed officials who uh, who are I sound, seemingly sound okay with that idea. But I think the potential, uh, I don't know, distraction may not be the right word, but the potential uh, stumbling point for the stock market in coming months is this idea that, uh, you know, the Fed Fund futures market is pricing in, a, you know, several rate cuts before the end of the year. And we have yet to hear any Fed official really 
kind of pivot to the idea of being open to cutting rates before the end of the year. The party line is predominantly, uh, yeah, we may go to 5%, another rate hike here, and then hold for a while, but no one is talking rate cuts. And uh, and that's uh, something that has been accounted for in terms of where the stock market is trading at right now. So, uh, so we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open for, um, you know, for any comments from Fed officials that start to come around to the stock market's view or conversely, you know, try to shoot it down. Uh, and that'll be a headwind for the stock market if they do. Sounds interesting. Let's move off of inflation and interest rates and maybe into earnings season. Are you, You've been a proponent. Let me make sure I'm using the right words. You've been not an advocate, but you, I guess, a proponent. You're hoping earnings expectations come down because the stock market has a high valuation. Um, there's kind of a teeter-totter that, that goes on there. Can you talk a little bit about current valuations and do they stress you out? Not stress. No, no, no. Talk about current market valuations according to your job, maybe. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, I should clarify. I'm, I'm not hoping earnings expectations come down. Right. I'm, I'm expecting them to. Um, and the, the reason for that is because of, you know, we have yet to see really, uh, you know, the, the lag effect of the Fed's prior rate hikes uh, hit home to any great degree. But it just, you, you know, just there's, you can feel, feel it building, right? I mean, the Fed's aim here, it wants to pretty much, uh, well, kill or weaken demand, certainly, and it, and it will do that through the, through the labor market channel. And so, if, if, you know, fewer people are working, there's less spending, there's less growth, and, you know, and presumably that leads to, a, you know, a disinflation here. So the Fed is not intent here that it, you know, that it can, you know, raise the victory flag over inflation. I think the Fed is going to uh, raise again, uh, and I think they're going to stay, you know, put at higher levels here. And and that will just, you know, it's going <clears> to <throat> cut into the disposable income, the discretionary um, spending potential of consumers as we move forward in coming months. And as it does, that should bring estimates down. Now, uh, where we are now currently is we have a market trading at about 18.2 times forward 12-month earnings. Uh, that's a premium to the 10-year historical average of 17.3, according to FactSet. Now, that 18.2 is based on the estimates we see today. And, you know, given what I just said and what we expect at briefing.com, you know, those estimates are apt to be revised lower here as we move through the first quarter earnings reporting period and maybe even, you know, as we continue into that second quarter earnings reporting period. So if you get a 10% cut to those estimates at today's prices, you have a market that is trading closer to 20 times forward 12-month earnings. And and in our judgment, that's just uh, too much of a premium given what's going on with all the noise around us uh, as it relates to uh, not just the Fed having raised rates, but other central banks having raised rates and and us not yet really having seen any major cracks in the labor market to uh, um, uh, to account for, you know, what the Fed is trying to do. And and uh, but we do think that that's likely to be coming. And therefore, we're not too excited about chasing the market here at these current price levels because we think that there's a cap at the moment uh, based on our theory that estimates are going to have to be revised lower. And so um, so we are at the upper end of that nine-month trading range the S&P 500 has been in. And from our vantage point, we think it will be very challenging to break through that uh, with a 
fundamentally grounded argument uh, because earnings ultimately drive the market, and uh, we're not convinced that earnings are done going down. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm thinking about putting a buyout on some stocks, um, but the one thing that's stopping me personally right now is the valuation of the stock market. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and again, we all approached investing differently. To me, I'm getting caught up on we're at the high end of a trading range on the SP 500, and that just turns me off a little bit. Is there anything that you're working on that you want to promote, talk through, um, give us a little insight on, so to speak, Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com? Well, you know, one thing I think we could probably uh, highlight too, though, is that you know when, we, when I mentioned that the market is trading at eighteen point two times, that's the market mm-hmm. cap weighted S and P five hundred. Okay, right. you know the the equal weight S and P five hundred is trading just over fifteen times over twelve month earnings. So, what that suggests really is that you've got a lot of top heavy uh, valuation here, um, where you know some of these. The bigger companies that have been leading the market higher here are, you know, kind of uh, pumping up that that valuation. So, you know, for investors looking to put money to work here, um, you know, over the long term, might want to consider an equal weight type of strategy. Um, you know, I don't make specific recommendations, but I would just draw people's attention. There's a, you know, Invesco has an equal weight ETF. The symbol is RSP. Um, you know, that is, you know, that's one avenue to try to, you know, approach the market here as opposed to buying into, uh, you know, the market cap weighted um, S&P 500. Um, so uh, I think that's an, an important dis- distinction to make. Um, sure. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, chasing it here as far as like just buying the spider, you know, the SPY, um, you know, that's where returns might be a little bit more challenging because we are already trading at a you know premium valuation uh, on that particular you know index that's really well said and thank you um and i'll add the color that you did not microsoft and apple have above average pe's thus making the market weighted sp500 a little bit more bloated strip them out and market weight everything and it looks a bit more appropriate. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use in your portfolio. I start my day every day with his page one, and I end on Fridays with his big picture outlook. But Briefing has so much more than just him. Um, it is a thorough uh, website that, that covers breaking news, economic calendars, earning calendars. Um, it, if I had to have one site, it's going to run pretty close with Bloomberg. The two work hand in hand in my mind. Top notch, world class information. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archive podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. I know I just did a trippy segment talking about estate planning and divorce and trying to give you some personal thoughts bottom line i said during a divorce consider a divorce mediator it's way cheaper people who lawyer up and get divorce attorneys they i've seen a person spend a hundred thousand dollars plus on a divorce to see his spouse who he would refer to as bat poop crazy yelling at a judge, running up the legal bills. I mean, the attorneys must be smiling in courts going, woohoo, she just yelled at the judge. That's another $10,000 for my baby's college fund. Try, 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 try 
to take the high road. I know you're saying that's a weird financial decision. And then I also talked about having an estate plan and, and trying to set it up and communicate really, really well so that the heirs don't get messed up. I don't just, I, I do, I guess I do dislike my brother, one of my four brothers a little bit more post my mother's death as the estate played out. And I got to see him write some jerkish emails. My, if my father, I guess you could even say this made a bit of a mistake making one of brother, the executor. So my mom kept that business model there after my dad died. It went to my mother's to make a different decision, but she didn't. We're all good. We're all fine. I think we all love each other, but a little less respect for one. But again, that's when money, right? So I want to talk a little bit more about divorce. I know you're saying this is fun conversation today. Is it not? Maybe not. Um, Social security and divorce is one of those weird ones. My dad was primary breadwinner. My mother, she held odd jobs throughout her, you know, 40 years of raising six kids. But she was never, you know, you would never refer to her paychecks as large. So if you're one of hundreds of thousands of couples who get divorced each year, you might wonder whether you're eligible to collect the spousal Social Security benefits. And the answer is it depends. There are similarities and differences in eligibility rules for regular spousal benefits and for those with divorced spousal benefits. Similar and yet different. The former spouse can receive benefits based on your ex's record, even if you've remarried. If your marriage lasted 10 years or longer. If you're entitled to Social Security retirement or disability benefits, if you're unmarried, if you are 62 or older, and if the benefit that you are entitled to received based on your own work is less than the spousal benefit you would receive based on your ex-spouse's work. I know you're saying, I didn't realize there's going to be so many standard tests to determine if I qualify or not. So in the case of my mother, and let's say my dad was a tech billionaire, and he had those years making 500000 500000 the Social Security office is like, sweet. We get to tax him to the max. And then she, oh, well, McKinsey Bezos is a good example, maybe. Where she was married to a billionaire who had high earning years, and then she married a school teacher. Social security benefits of a school teacher are not going to be the same as social security benefits of a tech pro. So a divorced wife can collect her ex-husband's social security, and it's kind of weird. If you think about it. Like, uh, now that we're retired, I'm going to collect from my ex's uh, earning years versus yours. Not that you're inferior, but you're inferior. So I'm going to take the higher payout. It feels kind of weird talking about it, doesn't it? But this is taboo free. Take your shirt off. It's the most empowering thing you could ever do. In college, I played soccer and post soccer. I drank one too many beers. (laughs) So I came out of college with a little bit of a belly. And uh, I didn't like taking my shirt off and with my my loved one. Like I was like, I, and it was fantastic. Where at one point in time she goes, "I like a guy with a little bit of a muffin." And I'm like muffin, like okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. But it's empowering. Same thing with investing. The moment you can start talking about these really weird issues, the better you are.
So I have no ill well, ill will towards my first wife. I don't care. I've moved on. I've had, I got a beautiful wife. I've got beautiful kids. I've got a beautiful house. I'm fine. I, I'm actually pretty happy that we, we split because we didn't have those same goals. It would have been miserable. Thank goodness there weren't children involved. But if she wanted to collect off my social security, she could. She hop frogged into another relationship with an attorney. So who had kids? So she messed up that marriage, but she didn't mess up mine. But that's okay. It's okay. It's all good. It's all good in the hood. Social security benefits between regular spousal benefits and divorce spousal benefits. It's a weird thing to talk about. Spousal benefits in full retirement age under the strategy, someone who has reached full retirement age had the option of claiming a spousal or divorced spousal benefit and deferring collection of their own retirement benefit until a later point. Now, anyone born on January 2nd, 1954 or later can no longer has the option and must always take their own retirement benefit first. There's so many little sub rules here. It's one of the benefits of working with a CFP is they get to make these decisions for my spouse if I if I die, and she gets to focus on on hanging out with the children and you know helping them through that process of losing their favorite daddy. Spousal versus divorced spousal benefits. Like it's a nutty thing to say out loud. For divorced spousal benefits to be paid, the marriage must have lasted at least ten years. While there's only a one-year duration of marriage requirement, which must be met before spousal benefits can be paid. That's different, right? So to get the benefits of your ex-husband, in this case, I'm going to say ex-husband. I'm going to say the husband was the breadwinner and the wife stayed home with kids. Don't get mad at me. I know it's sexist, but that's the example that I'm using. One minute. But in order to get my spousal benefits, you only have to be married to me for one year. But to get my divorce spousal benefits... You had to be married for 10. So Cindy and I didn't make it 10 years. So she doesn't get them, even if she wanted them. But she she landed okay. So anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, I just want you to be more honest in how you confront your knowledge or lack of knowledge and how you confront the relationships of people you're setting up with your financial planning issues. Divorce is a big one. Retirement's a big one. Death in estate planning is a big one. You got to be honest with yourself on these, even if it's a little humbling at times. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.